0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the editorial team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Early in my conversation with today's guests, I asked whether they thought it was enough to be chasing happiness. Is happiness a good life goal? And maybe we all know this, the short answer is not really. Chasing happiness puts us on a hedonic treadmill where nothing is ever enough.
1: What we are really looking for is a life that's kind of full of of life and full of thriving.
0: That's Bill Burnett. So it's really about being more human. And that's Dave Evans. Bill and Dave are professors at Stanford and they teach a course on designing your life. It's wildly popular. I think you'll get a sense of why in today's episode. Bill and Dave don't sugarcoat it. To them, we are all just making it up as we go along. But they're designers, and they believe there are tools we can use to make it up better. We can do more than try to be happy. We can find our way to designing lives, and in particular, designing work lives, that are meaningful to each of us. Here's Bill and Dave. So you teach this class. Tell us about this class.
2: Well, designing your life at Stanford, you know, which uh, the first inauguration of which was in the spring of 2010. Um, I had taught at Cal Berkeley, I taught a class called Finding Your Vocation, subtitled is Your Calling Calling. This was a while ago, because I struggled massively as a sophomore, you know, and a junior in college, like figuring out what to do with my one wild and precious life. And I thought that the help that the grownups were giving you was somewhere between useless and criminally negligent, um, which really ticked me off and still does. Um, and then we got invited to teach a class about that, having been involved in early corporate culture stuff at Apple and helping people find their way to meaningful and life-giving life. Uh, and work um, that was useful. And then Bill gets this job at Stanford with this uh, executive director of the design program. And that's a less horrible commute from where I lived in Berkeley. And they're the lunatic fringe and they really get it. And they're human centered people and they're 360 degree thinkers. And we should do this over there. And hey, Bill, what do you think? And Bill goes, yeah, let's do it. Um, And so then off we go and we start teaching.
0: You know, when you're in college and you're young, there's a sense that you're at the beginning so you're you're scripting out the choices that you right. have ahead of you right um, but the book that you've written now speaks much more to me because it's about what you do when you wake up in the middle and you don't like where you are but I think it's fair to say that even if you have a job that you uh, wanted or you're in a career path that you endeavored to be in you occasionally wake up and discover you can't stand your boss or the way forward is unclear, or the thing you made to sell just won't sell, and you feel stuck. And so I expected to pick up your book and get a uh, a list of things to unstick myself that had to do with changing the job, uh, changing the people, changing up externalities. And instead, your book told me that maybe the problem was me.
1: Yeah, it's not necessarily that the problem is you, but that the the place for finding solutions is really starts with yourself. You know, the Gallup poll, uh, you know, internationally 85% of the people are disengaged or highly disengaged at work. So a lot of people are getting up on Monday morning and going, Oh, I gotta go to this crappy job. Stuck and, is
2: really popular. And
1: it's and they're really, really stuck. When you're stuck and it's easy to sort of feel like all oh, this stuff is happening to me, I have no agency. But if you use the mindsets of a designer, if you start with curiosity, you reframe the problem, you know, you radically collaborate with other people in the world, you realize you got a lot more moves than you think. And we're, years, by you know, the, we're in
2: favor of changing your externalities. Hopefully, if some of these tools get executed well, the externals do change. Right. But the agent of that change is you. And some of the changes are entirely internal. And some of those internal changes, frankly, have transformative outcomes.
0: You know, many of the people that you're talking to, that we're talking to right now, they're on their way to work. It's Monday morning. Yep. Well, Hello, Monday. We publish on Monday morning. Right. And uh, we hear you guys out there. We know that you may be on, a, on your way to a job that you don't like. And you guys are telling us that something called design, which is probably not the field that most folks work in, right. can help.
1: Right.
0: What's design?
1: Right. Well— so there's a bunch of – the way I describe it, the way we describe it at the D school is there's a bunch of different ways of solving problems, different ways of thinking. And what a lot of people are trying to do is kind of engineer their life. Engineering thinking is I've got the I've got all the data and I've got the equations. I can build this bridge. I can, I can solve this problem. There is a right answer. There's a right answer. But, you know, the problem with life is it's an emerging reality. So what's going to happen six months from now, a year from now, you don't know. I don't know. There's no way to predict that. I, I tell my students you only have two choices because the future is coming. Right. So you can accept the default thing and just kind of try to react to it. Or as Dave said, you can imagine it as a giant design problem or an improv problem. There's always something that you can design into. And so it's an inherently optimistic way of thinking about, well, change is change. It's going to happen. But I have, some, I have some power over how that change impacts me and what I take advantage of when I move into that future. So design thinking is an innovation methodology
2: Uh, to invent things that have not been invented before, and we don't know what they are until we find them, by using ideation and prototype iteration. So if you want the whole thing in a nutshell, and I'm in the car and I'm at a stoplight, okay, what do I need to do? Get curious, talk to people, try stuff, and tell your story. Now, we've got to unpack that. But if you double-click on each of those, you get some, some feedback. But that's it. Get curious, talk to people, try stuff, tell your story. Ten words. That's really what we mean.
0: Well, I love that framing so much because I may not have the language that you have to describe it, but that has been what I have figured out in the first 40-some-odd years of my life about yeah, good how job. I learned new things about <laughs> right. myself, right? Maybe right. if I had gotten your framework when I was 20, I would have figured that out a lot earlier. I don't know. But I love that you ground this. The first thing that you ask people to do is to accept where they are. Right.
2: Yeah, Step. we call it step zero. <laughs> um, design only works in one place reality. This magical thinking stuff, you know, should is in your head. The only place should exists is in your head. Most people's definition of how happy they are coming back to happiness is what is the current referendum gap between what's going on in the real world and what I had in mind? If that gap is large, how's it going? Poorly. If that gap is small, how's it going? Well. So I guess the entire definition of my state of being as a human being on the surface of the earth is defined by some stuff I just made up. So we don't start with that. We start with reality, like what's actually going on and where can we get to from here? So we're so, reality-based.
0: Well, so let's talk about change a second. Okay. I recently was at an event with Adam Grant and we were talking about various ways that you could be better at your job. And mm-hmm. and I asked, do you, do you think people can change? Uh, do you take your own advice? He said, I don't take my own advice. You know, so it's very hard. Um, which is why your idea, which is that it's about the little incremental change that you yeah. can make and celebrate, kind of makes sense. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, yeah. first of all, Adam's a great guy. We think his stuff is cool. Um, <laughs> he and, is great. Yeah, and, he, and he's kind of part of the design, you know, the, the inner design mafia, I guess. There's a lot of research on how you actually make change in your life, either getting rid of a bad habit, I want to stop smoking or doing some, you know, or something, or adding a new habit, I want to eat healthier or I want to, you know, practice mindfulness. <laughs> And all of the research says it you fail because you take too big a step and then when you can't re- recognize that as direction moving in the direction of the thing you want you say well I, did, I couldn't do it and you quit. So the work you just tie yourself
2: to disempower yeah, yourself the work you, is just you can't do it.
1: I'm so Vandura. good
0: at proving that I can't do yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. You guys?
1: It's all about, you know, you pick a goal but you make really really small incremental steps. So we call it the set the bar low method. Like just set the bar low and clear it. You'll feel a little piece of accomplishment. You get a little blast of endorphins in your brain. Then do it again. Then do it again. So you don't change your job by, you know, screaming and yelling at your boss and, and throwing your, you know, your ID on the floor and then walking out, storming past the guards. You, take a, you assess where you are. You take a couple of small steps. You prototype your way into things. By the way, a lot of times people want stuff. And when they get it, they find out, oh, it wasn't what I thought it would be. That's the
0: funny thing about desire, right? Yeah, Yeah. because you not what I had in mind. Because
1: nobody, nobody Mm -hmm. tried it first. So prototyping is just a way of sneaking up in the future and seeing if it's really going to be what you think it is. And when you adopt these mindsets, like first I start with curiosity because I don't know what the future is going to be. So what am I trying to analyze anyway? I've got no data. I got to go talk to people. I've got to try little experiments called prototypes, and I can pretty quickly find a method for finding my way forward in this kind of fog of uncertainty. And more often than not, designers invent something that's really cool. And you can invent something really cool called your next job, your next life, your next thing. And if it's true that we're going to live to be 100 and we're going to have to get really good at this because, yes, the robots are coming and AI is coming and we're going to have to reinvent our job anyway. But the good news is, don't you, don't you hope there's a really cool job that hasn't been invented yet that you're going to be doing 10 years from now? that'll be even cooler than what you're doing.
0: Well, it's not about whether one hopes for it or not. It's it is in part about one whether one believes it is possible right. or not. Right. Well, your,
2: your question was, can we change?
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
2: almost like an existential question. Can I become a different version of myself, you know? And that's like, "Oh yeah, can I really pull this off?" You know, and not to play a semantic game with it, but you know, what if I just ask the question, we'll love to reframe, you know, but can I make some changes? You know, we say, "Hey, can you make a move?" Like, you know, can you be, can become the new and improved version? Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I can make this move. Right. Right. Um, And so people get stuck in what we think of as false dichotomies all the time. A classic false dichotomy is am I a human being or a human doing? I mean, is this am I becoming a different person or is this really what I need to go do? We go that's most dichotomies aren't helpful. They're zero sum games. So we call the generative cycle. You know, you start with your being, you start with who you are, you know, and then you go do stuff. And we're, we're do-stuff guys. You know, we're action-oriented people. And if you pay attention while you're doing stuff, this is why I tell your story matters, because you have to pay attention to your life and have something to say. If while I'm doing stuff, I pay attention and I learn from it, it's called growth. We're pro-growth. Then I'm becoming. So now we've got this generative cycle of being, doing, and becoming. So I'm always a being who's going to go do stuff. And if I pay attention, I'll learn. And then I'm becoming a little more I guess that's called changing. Um, because I made a move, I made a change, and those changes paid attention to and integrated into, into my life become a change. Mm-hmm. I change while I'm making
1: moves. Yes, the unexamined life is not worth living. The caveat to that is the overexamined <laughs> life is a pain in the neck. So don't don't go too far down gazing at your navel. But you know, all of our tools again start with you are here. And to know, to know where you are, you have to know the you in that equation. And so, you know, we we don't. But again, we believe you've discovered that through action. Bias to action is the mindset. So you find out who you are by acting in the world. You do it a little bit by, you know, reflection and contemplation. But mostly, the, you know, the game's out in the world with other people. I'm actually not a big fan of purpose.
2: I'm a big fan of Purposefulness. And that's not just a format change. The, you know, because the question of purpose is like, what's my purpose? And, and, and we think there isn't one right you. There are lots of good yous. All of us contain more aliveness than one lifetime permits us to live. All of us have more than one. If you're going to have multiple careers, they were all in you. There isn't just one you. And, and and maybe you're one of those people who really comes up with, this is the one reason I was put on the surface of the earth to be here, you know, and you get that singularity of purpose. That's great. But most of us aren't wired that way. Right. And if you start with a question that presupposes there is one right answer, that's kind of burdensome. So I'm not sure that I'm, you know, even now I'm I'm helping reform education and, and, and invigorate the workplace. I mean, for hopefully millions of people, that's like a big deal. Are you sure you're doing the right thing, Dave? Well, I'm pretty sure this is a helpful thing. I'm not sure it's the exact one right thing, but I'm living purposefully. I'm growing toward purposefulness. I want to be an on-track person moving forward, but I don't want to burden people the question of, you got to be doing the right thing. You got to be your best self. No, be a good self, Do a purposeful thing, but don't wait for the – again, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good.
0: And this feels like a spot to take a quick break. Coming up after that break, Bill and Dave will help us figure out what to do when it feels like you can't do anything at all. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days.
2: We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability. to. If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
0: And I'm back with Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. They're Stanford professors with a lot of personal design street cred. Bill has worked on everything from Apple Power Books to the original Hasbro Star Wars action figures. And Dave, he left Apple to start Electronic Arts. I wanted to know what happens when you get really stuck, when you have a problem with a person or a job or even finding a job. You know, I think that we often feel that we have agency in our lives, but there are certain problems that right. are just that we cannot get around. I, uh, let's say I am a woman in my 50s and I want to go and find a new job. Structurally, it is more challenging for me, and I may believe that. Or let's say I'm a guy in my 30s who has reported to the same boss who owns the company, and he's just a jerk. I can't change that.
1: Right. No. You
0: can't. What can I do?
1: There's a couple a couple kinds of problems that people do get stuck on, and um, and you know the very first part of design thinking and design and when I'm teaching my students is empathy, but in in our version it's accept. So there's one kind of problem called gravity problem, which is um, if if it really can't be changed or If you are not willing to do whatever it takes, the massive sacrifice it takes to change it— then we're going to reframe it and say it's just a circumstance, it's not a problem. Because a circumstance, we call it gravity, because, hey, gravity cannot be changed. I mean, literally, I mean, so my, I mean, you know, I,
2: I didn't gain the freshman 15 when I was an 18-year-old freshman, but I did gain, you know, the 62-year-old 20, you know, when I started going on the road and talking about the book and no longer working out. So I'm 66 now, and I'm 15 pounds overweight. And literally, my bike goes more slowly up. I'm a cyclist. goes more slowly up hills than I want it to. And one of the ways I can frame that problem is, damn, you know, gravity just got a bunch worse. I've got a problem with what's happening with this gravity thing. And, Bill, you know, I'd like some help on solving my, my problem with gravity. Can you, can you help me fix gravity? Um, and I'm I mean, just an allegorical kind of game. But the point being, well, no, you could uh, – because I can't – Gravity's unchangeable. It's not really your problem. And our, our position is if it's not actionable and I can't act on gravity itself, then it's a circumstance, not a problem. And it's easy to let – yourself stays stuck because I haven't figured out the solution to this problem which actually isn't problematic. It's merely is, is true it's, and unlikable. It's uh, unso- it's undesirable, un- but it's just true.
0: So that unchangeable problem
2: Right. It's an unchangeable event problem. that
0: I'm experiencing is a problem. Right. That's a circumstance. That that guy who's my boss who owns the company and is jerk, mm. circumstance. Yeah. Well deciding what work. is
2: and isn't unchangeable yeah. is a big is
1: is an important decision. And we're not trying to be patronizing or say just suck it up. And accept doesn't mean I'm endorsing this problem. As soon as you accept and reframe, you got a whole bunch of things you can try. When you're just saying it's not fair, and it's not, you're you're stuck in a sort of a loop that you can't get out of because um, it isn't fair. You aren't willing to do. You could decide. You could decide you're Martin Luther King, and you will spend the rest of your life. You know, fighting against you know social injustice and racism, you could make that decision. But if you just want to get a job at the tech company and you're not willing to be that person, then you're going to have to figure out you know strategies around that because it's just a a quick example of the bad boss. So
2: a real person I know uh, is working in a growing, healthy company. It's mid-level manager, director level. Would like to move to VP. Mm -hmm. Happens to be a closely held company that's privately held by a family. And the bottom line is, if you want to be a VP, you got to have this last name, and you don't have one. You're probably the most powerful, most highly respected not-family member in this company. And you really want to be the first one to get a BVP. And so I really need to be able to break through the family, you know, kind of sort of noble nepotism, if you will, uh, because it wasn't incompetent people they hired to move up, but they all had this name. Um, and, and, hey, Dave, what do I do? Um, and I kind of go, look, do you really think you're going to change that? Okay. So you can decide— to be the person waiting around to be the person who changed it. How do I get them them to value me enough? How do I get them to overcome this problem? And you have to decide, is that really an upside that you want to play? What if you accepted you're never going to be a VP in this company? What would that then free you? Because it starts with, oh, no. and Then you get over the, oh, no. You get through the, oh, no. Okay? And now it's just, oh. Oh. So you go from, oh, no, to, oh. Then you go, oh. And that third, oh, says, well, how could I make my life more interesting here? How can I make more money? What do I want? Do I want more interest? Do I want more I- influence? Do I want more income? What What am I after? So if I wanted to make more money here, well, the sales guys have this unlimited upside with bonus. I should go out into the field, you know. Uh, if I want to have more influence, well, that's the project where, that's really important qualitatively around here, and I can have a very strong influential voice, but I'll never be a VP. If I just, you know, if a really want is a level I probably have to do it at another com- more interest oh I could be a lateral I could become the internal consultant there are a lot of ways I can go then I'm now able to have the trade-off decision is that alternate available reality attractive enough for me to accept the compromise of not becoming a VP and if it's not I got to get out of here
1: we, uh, we, we that's unstuck uh, yeah there's a thing in the book about the best theoretical option versus the best doable option and most people are stuck on the theoretical you know it's not fair that I can't have what I want I should be able to have what I want because, theoretically, right. it should just be merit-based. Well, the world isn't that way. And the best doable option might be right. go lateral, go sideways, influence a project, start a special project. You know, the fairness
0: the, thing. The fairness thing. Is, I know. It's so human. We just want things to be fair. I know. Right. It's
1: not It's not. Right. right. Well, but it's, but it's more than just it's not fair, suck, suck it up. It's – um. In the human condition, yeah. there's lots of variables. There's lots of reasons why things are the way they are. And in most companies, it's not corrupt or weird or, you know, bad. It's just is. So once you understand how power and influence and, 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 and value is exchanged in organizations, you can go, oh, this is pretty obvious. It's pretty simple. Um, you know, there's, there's an old joke. The, the politics mm-hmm. at the university where I now, all, universities where I now work, and the politics at the university are so intense because the stakes are so low. You win nothing. Yeah. <laughs> there's no stock option. There's, there's no stock yeah. options. You don't get a promotion. You don't get a raise. It's all done on publications, and and yeah. doesn't matter. Right. The best you get is a better office next to the copier. Um, so, uh, you know, once you realize that that these are you're not victims of these things, you can see through them. They've, okay. Dave have calls it X-ray vision. When you when you understand politics, you understand how organizations really work, and most of it's just human. But, it's not bad.
0: Well. I— you know, if you peel back all of this yeah. and you speak to the acceptance piece, the, the step zero, I'm realizing as I listen to you talk that you're starting with a very basic human assumption that maybe we shouldn't start with, which is that every human feels that they are worthy of work that is fulfilling to them, that they find whatever they consider mm-hmm. valuable from. Right. Do you just assume that everybody feels that or starts there?
2: Sure. It mean, it be available. I mean, availability and worthiness are not the same thing. I mean, we're all living aspirationally.
1: Right?
2: You know, the um, the have, have we ha, have we created a society in which the fullness of each of our, you know, um, uh, worthwhile if not divine humanity can be expressed? No, we're a long way from done here. Um, so, uh, if we can make it a little bit better, that's fine. But uh, that doesn't mean we aren't worthy. Of but, course
1: we're worthy. But a, a, a little bit, I think you were asking a little bit of a question, worthy at, you know, worth something and, and deserving something at work. It's a pretty modern idea that work is going to be, you know, your happy place and fulfill you and also, you know, feed your soul and your yeah. children. That My money making and my meaning making deserve to be the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's actually just one form of a life and by no means the only way to do it. And there are lots of reasons you might want to work for money and keep the thing you do for love. For passion or for you know for, for fulfillment, out of the marketplace, mm-hmm. because you know if you if you're a, an artist and you have to produce on the market's terms, then you got to produce pretty ugly art. Um, you know maybe you want to keep your poetry, your art, your something as the as the side hustle, and maybe someday you know like you know I I took a fifty percent pay cut to go to the university from you know, from industry. But I did it because I wanted to increase my impact in the world and put – my goal was to put 10 years, a 1,000 kids in the world that really wanted to work on climate change and, and you know, and hard problems. Um, so you can trade off money for impact. You can trade off money for expression. But be careful that you don't accidentally, you know, say I got to get it all from the same place.
0: Um, well, we've covered a lot of ground. What, what haven't we talked about, guys?
1: You know, if, <laughs> if, if it's true you're going to work 60 or seven years, you're going to quit a bunch of times. And there's a way to quit well. And we think that people, you know, most often the model is <clears throat> just turn in your two weeks notice, do nothing, and then slink out the back door. And that's not good because that doesn't, that doesn't support the people who are coming after you. It doesn't keep the stuff you've been doing, you know, going strong. And hopefully you've been building something that's worth continuing. And it doesn't keep your network going. So we've got a thing on quitting well. We've got a thing on how to redesign your job. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't, don't want to take the big risk of quitting yeah. and trying something brand new. Because you don't really, I mean, you don't really know in the interview process whether what they told you (laughs) the job is going to be is what it's actually like. And we have a... A uh, 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 well, uh, uh, story in the book about somebody who really did get lied to and found himself in a bad situation. That. That's probably one of the big ideas.
2: I mean, the you know, sort of, I think you could argue chapter seven is kind of the centerpiece of the book, which is the don't resign redesign. I mean, a lot of people, you, we started with stuck. A lot of people feel stuck, and these seven out of 10 people are frustrated. Um, and so I, I don't like my choices. I feel like my choices are suck it up and take this difficult job or this boring job or this, you know, whatever, dead end job, or, you know, go through the incredible, difficult, painful, process, scary, risky process of quitting and starting all over again. I don't like my choices. And we really want to give people door number three. And door number three is, wait a minute, you know, you now that you know you can't have exactly what you want, you're stuck with what you've got. No, no, no. You have much more agency. You may not be able to get exactly the unicorn thing you had in mind, but there are a lot of moves you can make. So we have these strategies uh, where you can redesign in place. And a bunch of those redesign strategies require no permission from anybody but yourself to make things a little bit better. And a little bit better can be huge. It's a profound difference. It's like alloying in steel or spice in food. It changes everything. So you can make small moves with big changes without having to get the new job. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much.
0: That was Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. Their new book is Designing Your Work Life, How to Thrive and Change and Find Happiness at Work. Last week, we dropped everything to bring you stories about how people are staying connected as we all adjust to this new, more physically isolated world. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've lived a year in a week. Since I last came to you, I've transformed our bedroom closet into a podcast studio. I'm trying to get out for a walk every day, and I've started to get really excited about all the new topics we can cover now that work really is changing a whole lot right now, and it's really changing us. Thanks to everyone who's been sharing stories. I'm gonna keep sharing them with you on this show. This week's voice memo comes from Min Yang. She's an entrepreneur in Portland, Oregon and a longtime listener. Min was a student in China during the SARS outbreak 17 years ago. She was finishing her undergraduate and thinking about grad school when suddenly she was thrust into a lockdown scenario
3: for a long time. Here's Min. When SARS broke out, I just started college in Beijing. Suddenly, the campus was closed for quarantine. Some of my friends fled home. I didn't have that luck. I stayed. It went on for months. No classes, no activities, no online entertainment like Netflix, no online shopping like Amazon, no online community like LinkedIn. Honestly, at the time, we had no idea what would happen. No one had experienced that before. Months later, we survived just fine now i don't even remember much about the time i do remember the day they opened the door i ran to have my hair dyed with some crazy colors i also remember picking up gre tests to kill the time i know i'm a nerd i think it helped me when i set up a goal and put a plan in place it helped to focus on something else today As someone who has been through this before, I'm confident to say, we can definitely do this. It will pass, trust me. It just takes time and space, literally. Thanks, Min.
0: And listeners, I wanna hear from you. Your notes are keeping me going. So send me an email or a voice memo to hellomonday at linkedin.com. Tell me what your new reality is like and how you're coping. If you like our show, and we hope you do, Please rate us on Apple Podcasts. It takes two seconds and it helps new listeners find the show. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show was produced by Sarah Storm. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Ariando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Maya Mangini, Victoria Taylor, Michaela Greer, and Juliette Ferro help us design our best work life. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And you also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Keep washing those hands, and thanks for listening.
1: Uh, I'll just say that there's, t- there's tiggers, there's poos, and there's piglets in the world. Dave is a tigger. <laughs> and, and I'm more of a poo, you know, maybe an Eeyore. Um, and, uh, but I can be the happiest Eeyore you've ever met because I can change the way I perceive the world around my own you know, personality of being a little more shy, a little more, you know, reticent to, to be out front.
0: What's a piglet? Just curious.
1: <laughs> What's a piglet? Um, <laughs>
0: Small, cheerful, but
1: somewhat nervous person.
0: It's <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, it's it's and <laughs> it
2: fits in your pocket.